This is Reclaiming Jane, an Austin podcast for fans on the margins. I'm Lauren Weathers. And I'm Emily Davis-Hale. And today we're playing our third round of Six Degrees of Jane Austen, this time with special guests Molly and Becca from the podcast Pod and Prejudice. so much for joining us again it's been a while yeah I think it's been almost a whole book for us almost a book and a half at this point because we were early in sense and sensibility last time we were talking to you guys and now we're like a good way into Emma I remember the last time we recorded Becca and I were still living together and we sat on her bed and recorded into one microphone and now we're fancy and sitting at separate desks with two different microphones look at the come up we love to see it (laughs) yeah we're uh three books on from the last time we recorded because you i believe were on our opening episode of pride and prejudice and now Mm -hmm. we've done pride and prejudice mansfield park and emma wow Mansfield park in the middle wow yeah we move a little bit faster than you guys do We we take our time to do all the movies too and like uh, also, we we go very slowly because I make Molly obsess about every possible conspiracy theory she has on what could happen, which is a public service. We love it. It is <laughs> truly. Thank you. I'm just so excited that you guys are back. And this time, not for a book specific episode, we can just um, both nerd out about Austin and be as absolutely out there as we can be with these random topics that we've been given by patrons to somehow connect back to Jane Austen novels. We have some really great ones today. Um, A lot more fun in there this time uh, than we had with a couple of our uh, last topics, which got a little bit heavy. Um, They gave us the Supreme Court. Like, guys, I love you so much, but but why? (laughs) It was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. But before we jump into that, Lauren and I do have a few announcements that we need to make because we are ending one season and we'll be starting another soon. Our next season will be focused on Persuasion, which we're super excited about. I know it's one of Lauren's favorites. I have never read it, so it'll be a brand new experience for me. And it means you finally get to watch the Netflix movie that caused much angst last year. (laughs) Finally, in like six or seven months, I'll be able to see that movie. I also have never read Persuasion. It's one of the ones that I have to read before we cover it on the podcast, but Mm. I have enough Austin-centric stuff in my social media algorithms that I was just a little adjacent to to what was clearly like a hullabaloo about this movie. So that's going to be fun when we cover it on our pod too. And I'm excited for you guys to cover that too. Yeah. When we get to it, it'll be a couple years out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I got all the controversy, but still don't really know much about persuasion. So it'll be interesting. (laughs) Uh, We will be beginning that persuasion season on March 15th, so we will have a little bit of a break. You know, we need a couple weeks off in between books. It'll be about a month and a half from the release of this episode, so look forward to that. March 15th, we will be opening our fifth season with persuasion. And in between there, we will be live tweeting one of the Emma movies, so stay tuned for our social medias to see which one we pick and when it will be. 
We also wanted to remind everyone that, as usual, uh, we will be releasing an exclusive sticker to patrons at the $5 level and above, uh, which is in the works as of recording, but it will be announced soon. (laughs) If you are interested in that, go find our Patreon link uh, in the episode description, uh, and hopefully we'll see you over there for some extra content. And without further ado, Emily, what do we have for Six Degrees of Jane Austen topics this morning? All right. So this time I actually made note of who submitted topics. Uh, And man, some people really won out on this one. So our topics in no particular order are the eruption of Mount Vesuvius from Laura Dodaro on Facebook, the parent trap from Amanda Blair 4 on Instagram, bookstore cats from The Thing About Austin on Instagram, Waffle House from Mallory, California on Instagram, Benedict Cumberbatch from Marsha Hamley on Facebook, White Lotus from Bianca Hernandez on Instagram, Lizzo from Living Read Girl on Instagram, and Abbott Elementary also from Living Read Girl on Instagram. I'm so excited. I can't wait. Yeah, what a collection of topics. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, where do we want to begin? Shall we let our guests go first? I feel like guests should go first. Becca, do you want to go first or me? I can go first. Uh, there's one of these topics that I I picked up, which was White Lotus. And the reason I was so excited to cover this is because there's been something that has been haunting me that I need to talk about that my friend pointed out to me about this last season of White Lotus and Jane Austen content, which is that um, Tom Hollander, who plays <gasps> Quentin in season two of White Lotus is Mr. Collins in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Everyone I saw them on Twitter. I did. I screeched. I I have been losing my mind thinking about this and I can't bring it up to Molly because she hasn't watched White Lotus so she doesn't know how ridiculous this is. Is he like hot in it or something? No. Oh, okay, good. Good, good, he's, good. He's, um, oh God, how do I talk about this without giving away too much? Um, He's just like a gay man who whose entire personality in the first like episode where we meet him is just like obsession with Jennifer Coolidge upon meeting her. And I mean, owning... that makes sense. Yeah. Would that not be all of us? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, listen, like, true. this season of White Lotus, that was that was everyone was like, yes, the fact that like a gaggle of gay men are obsessed with Jennifer Coolidge makes sense. But you have to understand. So he's also like a huge partier. He owns a palazzo in Palermo and he just like is all about the crazy level of art. But the thing that is most important that doesn't give away anything about the season that I must say is that he travels with Jennifer Coolidge around Palermo on her arm and is like half her size. And it is the most beautiful image I've ever seen in my life is these two actors uh, interacting on the show together in a way that uh, they're so perfect. And I just it didn't take like he plays such a the character so full of confidence and uh, charisma on White Lotus that I was like, this isn't Mr. Collins. (laughs) This can't be. But my friend had watched White Lotus and had never watched the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, but texted me and she was like, oh my God, it's Quentin. And I was like, oh my God, it is Quentin. 
I wish I could talk about it further, but I want Molly to watch the season of White Lotus. So I'm trying to speak about it without spoilers. But for Emily and Lauren, you can understand my shock in learning these things. I have not watched White Lotus. I feel like I also just absorb it through Twitter. I'm not going to lie. It's on my never ending list of things that I need to watch. And everyone who knows me in real life who just heard me say that is going to laugh at me because I'm forever saying, oh, I'm going to add that to my list. And then I watch it in like two years because there's a never ending list of content. But I think because of this specifically, it's just been bumped up to like number one on my watch list. Like I really need to (laughs) I need to get on it. But for all of your listeners who watch White Lotus, this is my this is my Cassandra moment where I'm just I'm out here blaring. It's Tom Hollander. He's Mr. Collins. I lost my mind. Putting that aside, putting aside the the literal six degrees of separation, Tom Hollander, Mr. Collins of it all. White Lotus is also very much like Jane Austen because it is class commentary and satire. That is what it is at its core. Mike White is interested in exploring power dynamics as they relate to class in this era and specifically satirizing the most opulent of the upper classes. And Jane Austen, for all of her romantic genius, is also just a biting satirist. And so those two bodies of work really overlap on that rhythm. I wish I could snap for you as you were speaking without ruining the audio because that was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And that makes me want to watch White Lotus more. It's so good. Um, I think the first season is really, really good and it's excellent. It tackles some like very intense things. The second season, it's still intense, but it's it's a bit more optimistic, I want to say which is not saying much because it's one of the most cynical shows on television, but it's a bit more cohesive and I think it bites off less. So I think the first season's amazing, but bites off a little bit more than it can chew, even though Jennifer Coolidge gives an Oscar-worthy performance on television. But it is really, really excellent. And there's like a genuine debate about which season is better. I happen to favor the second season just because I think it, it takes on a more manageable concept and is more focused on pacing and propelling the audience forward to figure out what happens. So both are amazing. I think you can even pull your listeners about which one's better season one or season two. I think they're both incredible, but I happen to like season two a little bit better. Noted. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you so much for that connection, Becca. Uh, Molly, I think you're up next. All right. So I'll start with Lizzo. Um, I too have two kind of ways to bring this back. One being a more literal six degrees of separation and one being a more, uh, metaphorical situation. So in 2019, an ugly dolls movie came out, which I have not seen, but I discovered this in my research and Lizzo voices a character in that named Lydia, which on its own wouldn't be that like oh that's a pride and prejudice connection but alongside her charlie xcx voiced a character named kitty so no way weird conspiracy theory i think so um (laughs) that's my first connection 
I'm just now learning that Lizzo and Charlie XCX are in a movie together and it's blowing my mind. The cast of this movie actually was like insane. It was on actually, let me just read you some of the cast members because I was like, oh, do I have to watch this now? Let's see. Um, okay. 2019 Ugly Dolls cast Kelly Clarkson, Nick Jonas, Pitbull, Lizzo, Emma Roberts. Gabriel Iglesias, Janelle Monet, Charlie XCX, Wanda Sykes, Ice T, Jane Lynch. Oh, there, there's a lot of people in this. What is this movie? I have never heard of it. Is it just the Grammys one year? Did they just like round everyone up and be like, hey, let's record something? Well, it's maybe it's an animated film. It got 65% on Google, 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.1 out of 10 on IMDb. <laughs> they squandered all that talent apparently it seems like a sort of thing that all of these people were like that sounds fun and just like like did it but it says in the adorably different town of uglyville weirdness is celebrated strangeness is special and beauty is embraced as more than meets the eye oh after traveling to the other side of a mountain moxie who's voiced by kelly clarkson and her ugly doll friends discover perfection a town where more conventional dolls receive training before entering the real world to find the love of a child Soon, the ugly dolls learn what it means to be different, ultimately realizing that they don't have to be perfect to be amazing. This sounds like a a weird interpretation of the Velveteen Rabbit, but I guess Mm. that's sort that's not really a unique story. Like you don't have to be perfect to be loved. Right, right. I mean, it's like most of Lizzo's music is like that. So That's I mean, so Lizzo is kind of perfect. She definitely Lizzo is perfect. Absolutely. That we know. Speaking of Lizzo. Oh, yeah. Go go for your next one. I was just going to cry over the Velveteen Rabbit, but I don't think the, every, anybody <laughs> needs to hear that. <laughs> so this one is more just like Lizzo. Truth hurts. We all know it. Obviously, I think it's Marianne Dashwood's anthem. She says. Even I'm about to do a dramatic reading of Truth Hurts. Yes, ready. She says, even when I'm crying crazy, yeah, I got boy problems. That's the human in me. (laughs) Bling, bling, that I solve them. That's the goddess in me. Then she says, (laughs) she says, don't text me, Willoughby. Tell it straight to my face when she runs up to him and she's like, what is the meaning of this? How dare you? Anyway, that's uh, that's my connection between Marianne Dashwood and Truth Hurts. Absolutely. I love amazing. it. Now, I know that no one is seeing the video recording of this, um, but all of us are just laughing as quietly as we possibly can <laughs> while, while it's being read. Amazing. Thank you. Thank that you. That is so, so perfect. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Lauren, between the two of us, who's going first? I really want to share my parent trap connection, so I'm going to nominate myself. <laughs> okay, go for it. Let's hear parent trap. Okay, so running joke on this podcast is every time there's something that we want to hear or see, we say, where is the fan fiction for that? And I am happy to announce that this time I finally have the fan fiction for that because there is a Pride and Prejudice, the Parent Trap fan fiction crossover fic that is oh. on archive of our own as we speak <laughs> Oh okay. my god. We have to put the link to it in our episode description. 100%. Yes. I hope um, this person is floored by the traffic they get. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Double Pride Double Trouble. 
And the description is Elizabeth Bennett and Will Darcy had twins. Or what if Pride and Prejudice met the parent trap? It is a series, by the way. And the first one alone is 322,000 words. Uh, So you have plenty of content to get through. Absolutely incredible. Um, Props to the author. I know, right? It is. um, I'm not sure how you say it. It's Sreburna, S-R-E-B-R-N-A, and then capital F-H. Um, I have a passage from the very first chapter to read, which I just find incredible. If I end up reading this entire fan fiction, don't be surprised. Okay, so this is from the twins have been sent to summer camp. It's also a modern day alternate universe. Um, So we fast forwarded to like the 2010s. And this is from like the very first chapter when they are meeting one another. Mina Bennett hated Rose Darcy from the very bottom of her 14 year old heart. Rose had it all. Rose had writing lessons and travels. Rose had a big country house. However, the fact Mina hated the most was that Rose had a father, a father who took her writing and bought her a pony and a huge dog. It was slightly mitigated by the fact that she didn't have a mother, but still. Who needs one of those? (laughs) Who needs mothers? You know, whatever. (laughs) Mina hated Rose and her stupid riding hat and especially her long wavy hair and the ability to braid it into a wrist thick braid. Rose Darcy hated Mina Bennett with her entire 14-year-old soul. Mina had it all. Mina had a huge family with cousins and aunts and uncles that came for Christmas and sang. Mina played the piano and got singing lessons. Mina could walk to school on her own like a grown-up. Mina had a mother, a mother who packed her suitcase and and baked her cookies and sent her a card and a box of sweets every weekend. Well, she didn't have a father, but she did have a mother, which was enviable. Rose hated Mina with her short cropped hair that didn't need washing and drying for an hour and with her ability to use a watch to find North. And wow. I only I read the first couple chapters. The other thing that I find really hilarious is that um, in this fic, the reason that the twins are both sent to the same summer camp is because Jane has been meddling and she convinced both parents to send them to the summer camp. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I love that. That also is a good explanation of why that would have happened because I've always wondered why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why Why did somebody from California and somebody from the UK send their children to summer camp in what seems to be Maine? Um, right. Here's the thing about The Parent Trap. It is genuinely one of my favorite movies from growing up. Um, but if you look at it too closely, certain things start to blare out like for example you were just chill with not seeing one of your other daughters ever again that was fine with you yeah like that is the most unhinged way to resolve a child custody dispute like you just (laughs) just split them like what yes like they look the same so we we actually don't need to see the other one (laughs) Uh, you take one and i'll take the other it'll be fine exactly but all this being said, that's a great connection. That also, like, just hearing that is like, I want to read the rest. And I know that in watching The Parent Trap, it is a love story about the parents. But I think that, like, as a child, I was always more focused on the long lost sister of it all. And like the, that storyline. But this is like, I want them to get back together. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I guess all four of us now have something to do with the rest of our day. Or, yep. well, with a length like that, the rest of our month. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, thank you very much for that connection, Lauren. I did not expect there to be such a direct connection between those two. That was great. 
I was so excited. All right. It's down to me. And I think I'm going to start with bookstore cats, which I immediately jumped on uh, when this came up as one of our chosen topics. Thank you again, patrons, for voting on these. Uh, It's always really fun to see what comes through that people want to hear about. But yeah, I saw bookstore cats as like one of our options. It was like, that's me because that's my greatest ambition in life is to be a bookstore cat. Um, This is sort of a tangential connection, I guess. So I'm going to sort of conflate bookstore cats with library cats because library cats are a actually really ancient tradition. Basically, as long as there has been writing on perishable media, so paper or papyrus, there have been cats used as like pest control so that rats and other little vermin don't get in and just destroy records. Um, So even back to at least ancient Egypt, uh, cats have been used to protect libraries and their contents, um, which is continued through the ages um basically up until we have like you know modern pest control so it's almost guaranteed that at some point jane austen's works have been protected by bookstore or library cats she probably also would have interacted with some of them uh doing that job in her own time so kind of simple but it made me happy have you seen the documentary inside the mind of the cat no, do I need to? Yeah, it was very fascinating. I'm not a cat person, but my grandma really wanted to watch it the last time I was visiting her. So we watched it and they talk about that um, not in libraries, but in um, distilleries because the cats had to keep the mice away from the grain. And it was fascinating. There would be one cat who was out being the face of the brewery in a more like, you know, symbolic way, like, oh, I'm the cat that is here protecting the grain, but really he didn't do much. And then his sister cat at night does the night shift and they put a little tracker on her so they can see where she goes. And she just like does the rounds and like, you can see her like going out in the underground tunnels and stuff and like doing the whole thing. And she does all the work and she just like stays back during when there's, when there's guests. And anyway, it's a very cool documentary. Um, Definitely check it out. <laughs> if that I, interests you. Absolutely. I'm going to watch that. If only you guys could see Emily's face right now. They are delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm a cat person and I'm a cat. So what do you want from me? Yeah. So crucial. I was just going to say that I like the idea. Also, we have a running joke on our podcast where Molly asked me, where are the dogs in these books? And I looked at her and I went, "These are, there are always dogs at Jane Austen work. Always. But there are yes. no cats. Hey, well, this is what I'm saying. The, the dogs are mentioned in Pride and Prejudice, but actually really in Sense and Sensibility because... John Middleton's really obsessed with Willoughby's dog. He's like, I don't know him really well, but he has a great dog, which is a great way to introduce somebody. Um, yeah. But the thing I'm saying is that maybe at like Pemberley, Mr. Darcy needs a cat to protect his library. Mm-hmm. Where's that fan fiction? Or his greenhouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody's been brave enough to write about the cats at Pemberley, but honestly, they do exist and I'm making them canon right now. Okay, I'm going to have to add this to my never-ending list of things that I need to write. Like, now yeah. there just needs to be, like, Pride and Prejudice from the viewpoint of Mr. Darcy's library cat. 
Oh, see, I was just going to say you could write a one shot about the cats of Pemberley. You're writing a whole retelling. I was going to make it easy for you. Oh, like, not, you can not necessarily <laughs> retelling. There's a lot of different ways to approach this. Well, a lot of the story does not take place at Pemberley. So mostly it would just be like a cat watching Mr. Darcy cry and eat ice cream and be like, why doesn't she love me? <laughs> I just always think of the one post. I can't even remember what platform it was on about uh Georgiana having to watch her brother in his Regency PJs eating his Benjamin and Gerald's <laughs> crying about Lizzie. So, Please. The Benjamin fan fiction. and Gerald's. Benjamin and Gerald's. I'm I'm picturing now just Georgie sitting there with a library cat in her lap being like, Fitz, William, calm it down. <laughs> Pull yourself together, man. And Edna mode the situation. Yes, absolutely. And now I think we're back around to the top. So Becca, would you like to give us your second topic? Yes, the second one is Abbott Elementary. So there is not the same level of direct crazy uh, connection I can make between Abbott Elementary and Jane Austen. But I think there's a lot there that is Jane Austen adjacent in the show. Uh, first of all, before I start talking about this one, because I, I realized halfway through talking about why Lotus, Lotus Note of You had watched it, have either of uh, you guys seen Abbott Elementary? I have not. Every episode. I'm obsessed. I love it's, Abbott. It's incredible. I I love Abbott. It's uh, one of those emotional support shows. It's so lovely. Um, so the only thing I'll say, this has minor spoilers, but I don't really think it's spoilers per se um is... internet so it'll be okay <laughs> so um i think the number one connection i'm gonna make is that the writers of abbott elementary quinta brunson and and co have a capacity to write a love story we care about that is drawn out and not very like sexual necessarily but the the chemistry that has been consistently shown between gregory and janine leads to a lot of kiss you idiots kiss uh, from me as I'm watching, which is also how I feel reading pretty much any Jane Austen book. When I see the two main characters, I'm like, yes. So that's my number one connection. I would also note that I think the character of Jacob in Abbott Elementary would have a lot of things to say about Jane Austen and have only read one of the books and then just watch the BBC series for the rest. That is an incredibly accurate assessment. It's such a specific <laughs> interpretation, and I cannot wait to watch this show and find out about it. Yes, uh, White Lotus is one of the most stressful shows on television, and Abbott Elementary is one of the least stressful shows on television, so that's the the two ends of the spectrum. Although both do have class commentary, uh, but Abbott's more coming from the stories of those like without, and White Lotus is more critiquing those with. Mm -hmm. And Jane Austen is obviously more critiquing those with than writing about those without, because there are no poor people. Not no poor people, but... Very few poor people. It's like it, poor by their own definition. Like, oh, no, we have servants and we're like daughters of gentlemen, but we have no money. Like, baby, it's it's going to be OK. You're going to I, I would argue that there's one main character in Jane Austen novels who's legitimately poor, but Molly has not met that character yet. So I will not say which. Ooh. I think you guys know who I'm talking about, though. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Abbott's a wonderful show. I'm so glad you got to connect it to Jane Austen. Yeah. I mean, yes. And you can vouch for me that Kiss You Idiots is like every moment. 
10,000%. And I know they're going to draw it out for several seasons. And I'm going to scream every time they get like this close. And then the writer's like, aha, you thought. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't want to talk about the amount of like panicky moments I've had where I'm like, oh my God, watching that show. But uh, I want those two to kiss so badly. Emily, you'll know as soon as it happens because it will be gift across Twitter instantaneously. Yes. Okay, yeah. So I better get on watching it before that happens. Yes. And Me too. Uh, the reason this isn't exactly a spoiler is that like from episode one, they say hello to each other and you're like, those two. Oh, yeah, this <laughs> feels like it feels Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, I've seen so many gifts already of them just like gazing. So, yeah. Like I said, uh, I'm on the internet. I kind of know what's going on. Also, I forgot the name of the actor who plays Gregory, but he is so handsome. Tyler James Williams. And yes. <laughs> and he also, he, he gives off an energy that I personally really enjoy, which is like good looking, but anxious. It's, it's everything. <laughs> he also has the stare into camera just down pat because he was on the show. Everybody hates Chris as a child actor where it was a mm -hmm. similar like mockumentary thing where well, not similar because he was the only one who really interacted with the camera on that show, but he has already had literal years of practice of just like giving the sarcastic, sardonic mm -hmm. look into the camera. Like, are you guys seeing this? Like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And it he nails it every time. Yeah. Ben from Parks and Rec walked so that Gregory from Abbott Elementary could run. 10,000. Now that's an endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> At least for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that's Abbott. <laughs> Thank you for making that connection. Molly, what's your second topic? So Benedict Cumberbatch. I found a few because that man has been in every movie under the sun. So I was able to be like, oh, he was in this movie with this person, this movie with this person. Um, but I'm going to do the one that I think is the most fun and that I think that in this particular nerdy room, everyone is already going to know. But I'm going to share it with your audience because they might not know. So Benedict Cumberbatch was in The Other Boleyn Girl, which if you haven't seen it, I think that uh, James McAvoy is also in it, but he's not the important part. The important part is that Natalie Portman is in it. And Natalie Portman, as we all know, plays Padme Amidala in the hit series Star Wars. <laughs> um, ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? So in episode one of Star Wars, which came out in 1999, Padme Amidala, she is 14 years old and she's the queen, but being the queen, she has to have handmaidens who sometimes have to stand in for her. So they have to look like her. And she has one handmaiden in particular named Sabe, who in episode one stands in for her for a lot of the film and all of the scenes where she's, you know, talking to any kind of other royalty or like senators or stuff that stand in. Sabe is played by Kira Knightley, who, as we all know, plays Elizabeth Bennett in the 2005 Pride of Prejudice. So amazing. Well done. Incredible. That was that was a true six degrees. <laughs> yeah, um, that's like my favorite fun fact about that movie. And it always has been because they like look alike. And one could even say that Natalie Portman is like the American Kira Knightley. One could say that. I don't think anyone has said that, but they do look alike. And especially when they were like, 16, 17 years old, however, they, I think probably honestly closer to 14 when that movie came out, they looked very similar. So with the makeup on, you can hardly tell them apart. I was going to say, I think that when they were children, they were basically identical, but now mm -hmm. that they are adult ladies, I think there's a height difference there that makes them distinguishable, but it totally. is 
it is definitely true that they have very similar faces. So yeah, that is my little connection from Benedict Cumberbatch, who was in The Other Boleyn Girl, like 10 years after that. And uh, that's how we connect those two things. Honestly, I'm amazed that he has not been in an Austin production because he's a British actor. Haven't they all been in Austin at one point or right. another? Well, there was, a, and then I found like, you know, he also has like multiple Laurence Olivier awards and Laurence Olivier is famously a Shakespeare slash Austin actor. So I do think of all of the uh, Six Degrees of Separation, the likeliest for like actors Benedict Cumberbatch like you just look at him and you're like you've acted with someone who's in a Jane Austen film before yeah he just has the look about him the other connection that I had was that he was in the power of the dog with Kirsten Dunst and she was in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind with Kate Winslet so um you know and I think there are probably a lot of those like very quick connections with him yeah totally there are only six British actors right thank you so much that was delightful all right, Lauren, you're up next. So uh, my second one is Waffle House. <laughs> so I was going to talk about the Waffle House fight that went viral on Twitter earlier this year. Did any of you see that? I sure did. Caught the chair in her hand. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. OK, so for people who did not see Emily, did you see that? I literally only saw it last night. Oh, my, oh God. my God. How? <laughs> it's me. Come on. <laughs> OK, valid point. For other people who have not seen the Waffle House fight because um, they actually spend time not on their phones, can't relate. Um, There was a fight that went viral earlier this year um, because, you know, there was usually some mess going down at Waffle House and it went super viral and was memed to eternity because one of the Waffle House employees who was then subsequently dubbed Waffle House Wendy had a chair thrown at her that she caught and threw aside like it was nothing and then was like, giving them bring it on hands like throw another chair i dare you i double dog dare you there were like fight analyses going on people wanted her to be in wwe they put avengers music over her it was a whole thing so i was thinking about that at first when i was thinking about waffle house because waffle house comes to mind and i'm thinking like chaos and fights but really waffle house is not necessarily waffle house is consistency you know like it has had the same menu since like the great depression um, it is open in uh, natural disasters to the point where you can use Waffle House as an index for how bad it actually is. If Waffle House closed, get out of town because things are not looking good for you. <laughs> like when you walk into a Waffle House, like no matter where you are in the U.S., you know exactly what you are getting. And do you know what else is consistent and familiar and there for you no matter what? Jane Austen novels. I was going to say <laughs> Colonel Brandon. Also, Colonel Brandon. Colonel Brandon is the most consistent man on this planet. And I know this is like such a silly, like stupid connection, but like Jane Austen novels have proven staying power for like the last two centuries. They persist in pop culture. They persisted through the national disaster called misogyny. So I think that both (laughs) Waffle House and Jane Austen have a reputation for being consistent, for being there for you when all you need is like something comforting to like lift you up on a bad day, even if there's like a literal hurricane going on outside. So this is not like a traditional six degrees connection to Waffle House, rather than just like, even if the consistency you get from Waffle House is consistent chaos, you will still get consistency. Um, Just the way that you know what you're getting when you open a Jane Austen novel and you just want to sink into something familiar. And that is my connection. That's beautiful. 
That is so Thank lovely. You. And sometimes there's a fight. And you know what? And sometimes there's a fight. Sometimes there's a duel. Um, sometimes people are, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the sometimes duel. people just need to get it together. <laughs> you guys have both read Sense and Sensibility, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. The Sense and Sensibility duel. That was the chair throw of Jane Austen. It. it wasn't the chair catch, but it no. was the chair throw. Yes. But yes. Nothing as impressive as a chair catch, unless, you know, if we had actually been able to see that duel on page, maybe it would have been. But I feel like, no, I feel like it would have just been very anticlimactic. I feel like Lizzie's response to Darcy's first proposal is the chair catch. Mm, yes. That's good. Yes. <laughs> Ruthless, taking an insult, grabbing it out of the air, throwing it aside as a freaking threat. A hundred percent. I also yeah. feel like... um if we were assigning like Austin characters to that fight, uh, Kitty and Lydia would definitely be one of the people outside with cell phones, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like <laughs> screaming and recording the entire thing. They would Absolutely. actually be like live streaming it. Also, Lydia would 100% just make a bunch of TikToks like commenting on it. Yeah. She, she gives off, I do all the TikTok trends energy. She really does. Yes. I think at one point, Lauren, you assigned social media to... I think it was people in Pride and Prejudice. And I'm pretty sure Lydia was the TikTok girly. Yes, she is. She just has that energy. She is. That's all I had for Waffle House. (laughs) That was great. Thank you for doing Thanks for coming on that Odyssey. (laughs) Uh, Which leaves me with our final topic, the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, which... I was just delighted to see because I I love getting random historical things to connect to Jane Austen. Like that's literally just what I do. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, Mount Vesuvius erupted in the year AD 79 uh, in what is now Italy and famously buried the two towns of Herculaneum and Pompeii. Uh, So in the the subsequent centuries, uh, Pompeii was sort of forgotten Uh, until some explorers, antiquarians in the mid-18th century um, discovered this, like, abandoned town that had been buried by a volcanic blast and started excavating it um, badly at first because 18th century archaeology. But this uncovering of a classical site fit in perfectly with the burgeoning neoclassical trends Uh, where there was a lot of interest during and following the Enlightenment in like ancient Greek and Roman ideals and aesthetics. And by the time we get to the era when Jane Austen was publishing, um, they'd even gone to, you know, these very neoclassical and classical um, silhouettes and aesthetics and dress and everything. So yeah, Jane Austen was very much part of that uh, culture and resurgence that was so interested initially in the rediscovery of Pompeii. Wow. That is not, I had no idea where that was going to go, but that was really perfect. It was, there was more of a direct connection than I thought at first. That was yeah. excellent. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was, and when you said that it covered the city of Pompeii and then they started excavating it in my mind, I'm going like, ayo, 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 ayo. <laughs> And then I was like, maybe the lyrics have some sort of, (laughs) I mean, lots of Jane Austen characters have their walls come tumbling down in the city that they love. This is very true. Multiple connections there. I could have pulled so many threads. 
<laughs> but I also just I like that. Pompeii is so interesting to me because it, I had like one of those little like magazines from like Ripley's Believe It or Not or whatever that like talked about uh the the plaster casts that were made of like the people at Pompeii and it was just like that is the coolest shit ever and it has stuck with me <laughs> yeah and then you became an anthropology PhD student yep then that happened uh, <laughs> most, mostly unrelated to the Pompeii thing since I don't work in that part of the world but still like the the uh intrigue of learning about past peoples is definitely folded in there somewhere just a little bit just a baby bit just a baby bit <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was super fun. And that wraps it up. Those are eight that we have. Yeah, that's that's everything that we have for our Six Degrees <laughs> of Austin today. Molly and Becca, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so for much for having, having us. us. I love that you said that in stereo. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah. And thank you for letting me talk about Tom Hollander and White Lotus. <laughs> I, that's why we asked you to come, you know? <laughs> Becca was bursting at the seams. She texted me and she was like, dibs on White Lotus. And I was like, that's fine with me. I've never seen it. I think Lauren texted me exactly the same thing about the Waffle House, right? Or no, Parrot Trap. I Yeah, I saw Parent Trap on the Patreon poll and I was like, give it to me immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is always delightful to get to play this ridiculous game uh, with other people and draw you into our absurdity. Oh, we had so much fun. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So Molly and Becca, uh, obviously we will put links in our episode description, but where can people find you and Pod and Prejudice? Yeah. So if you didn't hear our uh, deal last time, we were on Reclaiming Jane. Uh, we have a podcast together called Pod and Prejudice. Molly's never read Jane Austen books before the podcast. I've read most of them. And so we go through them together and Molly guesses what's going to happen. And I guide her through. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Pod and Prejudice. You can also find us on social media at Pod and Prejudice everywhere. Or you can email us at podandprejudice at gmail.com. Molly, did I miss anything? Um, No, I think that's it. Well, listeners, definitely go give Pod and Prejudice some love as well. They are excellent. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> We're just so excited that you guys were able to come back. You are welcome anytime. Yeah, I'm really glad we were able to make this work because uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Reclaiming Jane. We'll be back on March 15th with our first episode of Persuasion. To read our show notes and a transcript of this episode, check out our website, reclaimingjanepod.com, where you can also find the full back catalog and links to our social media. If you'd like to support us and gain access to exclusive content, you can join our Patreon at Reclaiming Jane Pod. Reclaiming Jane is produced and co-hosted by Lauren Weathers and Emily Davis-Hale. Our music is by Latasha Bundy and our show art is by Emily Davis-Hale. See you next time, nerds.
Can you use a watch to find north? Apparently in this fic you can. Um I don't know, maybe I need to learn from Nina how to use a watch to find north. I, I don't mean, know. This some... is a survival skill I'm missing. <laughs> Sometimes I think some watches have like little compasses built in, which mm-hmm. would make sense, but I don't how, know how you would use a watch alone to find north, but I I mean I'm not an expert. 